Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Uh, We're going to talk in just a second here with Manitoba Underdogs Rescue. And in 10 or 12 minutes, uh, you just heard some... uh, I believe you just heard audio of Bill Walker from Landmark Cinemas in the News. If not, uh, Tristan read the story anyhow. Uh, And Bill was on the start this morning talking about why he believes movie theaters uh, should open. And uh, he made some really, I thought, some really strong arguments as to uh, why Landmark should be able to open up. And and, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. You don't have to agree with me. 204-780-6868, hal at cglb.com. I'll play some of the Bill Walker audio from the start this morning in a bit here, and uh, we'll read some of your text messages and emails as you react to that. Uh, Joining us now in charge of media relations at Manitoba Underdogs Rescue, Lindsay Gillanders. Lindsay, good afternoon. Hi, Al. Hi, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. All the shows today are kind of focusing in on pets and the pandemic, and I'm a dog guy, uh, uh, had two dogs. Uh, Pete is no longer here, but we've got Hershey. She just turned 17, and uh, you guys uh, do fantastic work. Um, I'll just remind people, uh, they might have read my column in the Winnipeg Sun House headlines back in August where I, I had a picture and talked about Stark, the five-month-old lab cross. Do you know how Stark is doing? I think Stark is doing great, uh, if I remember correctly. It's been a busy few months for us, but Stark's yeah. been adopted and is living his best life. So Excellent. Yeah. 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 And that's a dog that uh, you found in real rough shape in a, in a northern community, and that's a large part of what you guys do, although I guess that's been challenging uh, with the pandemic, eh? Very challenging. We can't get into a lot of, or haven't been able to get into a lot of the communities that we generally work in, so it's definitely changed how we how we do things the last few months mm-hmm. you're busy though i imagine eh oh my goodness yes there's been so many people who have chosen to add to their families right now um add that furry friend that they've been waiting on for a while so very very busy with adoptions and with intake as well so it's been a, a great and crazy few months for us for sure few months and, i guess a year sure yeah i know it's yeah. hard to believe um but as people add dogs and i think especially during this pandemic particularly with covid-19 um they may not be thinking it through are you seeing that some people uh, coming back with the dogs or, or am i wrong about that no we've definitely seen more returns i mean we've seen a huge increase in adoptions but with that we've seen a large increase in returns and you know we would always rather somebody return a pet to us if they have made the wrong decision but really want to make sure that people you know understand that this isn't forever i know it feels like forever right now but that life will go back to normal and that when you're making that commitment to add to your family that you understand what real life feels like too and that that commitment will extend out of the pandemic and for you know with hershey 17 years sometimes it's a 20-year commitment and really understand that people know that it's a forever thing Mm-hmm. And it's a big commitment. Um, I, and now, it just the way it works in our house, Jackie has things that she handles. I have things I handle, and Jackie primarily takes care of Hershey. That's 
um, what she does, and she does a great job of it. But, man, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of work when the dog is young and healthy, not when it gets, you know, never mind when it gets older and uh, starts to have health issues. So you've got to keep all that in mind. And as you said, it can be a long-term commitment. It usually is. And even with the pandemic, I mean, I, I'm the biggest animal lover there is. I've added a second dog to my home during the pandemic. And what I didn't realize was that access to trainers right now is so difficult. I think they just mm-hmm. have to go ahead to be able to train in person. So bringing a second dog into my house, who's a crazy person, I love her dearly, but, you know, it's been hard to access that basic manners kind of training help that she needed. So there's definitely a lot of short-term and long-term pressure that adding a, a dog to your house can bring never mind in the pandemic mm-hmm. you guys will go into a remote community and, and you'll spay and neuter and as you said that's been difficult so what are you doing to try and uh deal with that because uh that that is a, a real problem isn't it yeah and it's a big part of what we do i mean our whole goal is to render ourselves useless so that there are no stray and unwanted animals in, in winnipeg so there's nobody to rehome and obviously that's a big job um, but because we haven't been able to run our four or five clinics a year, you know, where we spay 30, 40, 50 dogs, um, we've been doing fix and return. So we go into these communities where there's no access to vet care, very loving pet owners, but they just don't have the option of taking their pets to the vet locally. We'll do a run. We'll pick up as many as we possibly can, load them up into volunteer vehicles, bring them back into the city, access those veterinary resources here to get them spayed or neutered. And then the dogs recover with loving foster homes until they're ready to go back home. Um, and it is it helps. It definitely helps. It definitely makes an impact. I think we've done 62 dogs that way this year, if I'm correct. Um, but definitely not the volume that we, we would normally do. So it's been a, a pivot and definitely something that we need to get better at doing in the future. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for foster homes all the time, I imagine. Always. And especially foster homes that don't have any other pets. Um, usually dog lovers love dogs. So, you know, what's adding another one, but we do have some special behavioral cases that come in, that they're just not always great with sharing their home right away. Um, so that's always a difficult one because dog lovers tend to have dogs. So if somebody out there is in between pets, they're not sure if they want to add to their family. Uh, it's always a great way to test the, the ownership waters for sure. And how can they contact you for that? And, and if they want to make a donation, because listen, what you guys do, uh, costs money. Uh, and I know cash is always welcome, especially now because you, you haven't really been able to do your normal fundraising and you're doing a lot of that online. Yeah, we've got a wine raffle going on right now. And, of course, donations are always accepted at manitobaunderdogs.org. Uh, that's where you can sign up to be a foster home or get more information on what it is we do. Um, yeah, everything can be found there or, of course, on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and pretty mm-hmm. active there. Yeah. Hey, Lindsay, I want to ask you uh, something that Rob, uh, listener Rob, just texted this in to 204-780-6868. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on this, but Rob says, Hal, have you checked out the prices of dogs online at various sites, including Kijiji? Wow, talk about jacking up prices. We bought our purebred Dash Hound for $400 eight years ago without papers, and now they are going for $2,000 plus. Even mutts are crazy expensive, and I've heard this from other people, not just Rob. Uh, and Rob suggests that maybe these uh, sellers are taking advantage uh, of the times. You know, it's possible. Working for a dog rescue, of course, I'm always an adopt, uh, not shop kind of a girl. Right. I do know that, you know, reputable breeders, people who are, you know, registered with the Canadian Kennel Association and breeding specific dogs for specific purposes, there's definitely a, a, 
a reason for that. Um, but I would, you know, I would caution anybody who's seeing dogs going for twelve hundred to two thousand dollars to question whether or not they're actually buying from a reputable breeder, breeder, or whether or not it's somebody who's breeding dogs in their backyard, and that's never a good situation for the dog, for the purchaser, or long term for the breeder. I use breeder. I'm doing air quotes in my living room, but. You know, mm-hmm. our adoption fees and the adoption fees of any reputable rescue generally don't go to cover the cost of the dogs. They don't go far enough. Um, for us, it's recouping as much cost as you possibly can and putting an emphasis on finding a loving home for that animal. And so for that reason, I will always suggest to your listeners that they look at a rescue first and the support that comes in the long term um, just care and support and tips and tricks and, and, and yeah, that come with being part of a rescue like Manitou Underdogs Rescue is, is super valuable as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's, that's really good. That's really good advice. You're absolutely right. Because uh, certainly with rescues and, and even with reputable breeders, it's about getting those dogs into a great home. It's not about cashing in, right? No, yeah, and carrying on lineage, and, you know, if you're looking at a herding dog or a working dog, there are definitely breeds that are specific to that and bred for a reason. But the average family pet, I mean, I've got two rescues, and they're absolutely wonderful. People tend to think that rescues are, you know, they come with problems, and sometimes they do. Sometimes they've had a tough start to life, but generally they settle in and make really, really wonderful family pets. So I know that with our rescue and with most of the registered charities in Manitoba that do deal with animal rescues, you're going to get a really reputable organization that's going to support you and, and try to keep those costs down as low as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to steal your line, adopt, don't shop. I like that. Yeah, I would put it on a bumper sticker on every car in Winnipeg if I could, but <laughs> just, for mine. just mine for now. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it, and keep up the great work at Manitoba Underdogs. Thanks, Helen. Thanks always for your support. Uh, joining us now, because it's Thursday, and it is right after the 2.30 news, Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Hello, Carolyn. Hey, Hal. How are you doing? I'm good. Always uh, great to chat with you. I've got a few things I want to get to, but tell me about revenge bedtime procrastination. You emailed back about this today, and I'm anxious to hear about it. Well, many people will recognize that they have been doing some revenge bedtime procrastination. And there's this thing that happens is when you've had a long and boring day and you feel like you haven't got enough out of it yet, that there's this something in you just starts scrolling through your Instagram or somehow going on your phone and you put off um, going to bed. You stay up far too late and you regret it the next day, but somehow you just couldn't get yourself to turn off the light and go to sleep. And there's some I feeling like maybe it has to do with people trying to get over the stress of the pandemic um, and trying to be good to themselves in the evening. But we know that it actually increases people's stress. And so we have to figure out how to stop this revenge bedtime procrastination so that people can turn off the light, get a good night's rest and be ready for the morning. Revenge bedtime procrastination. I like it. Not not the problem, not the issue, but I, I like the name. I'm I'm kind of into terms. If I see something new like that, I go, oh, I kind of like that, and I want to find out about it. Now, 
and that's, uh, you know, if you have that problem, I get it. I understand that. My problem is I often can't stay up as late as I want. I find I'm, I'm dozing and so anyhow, that's a whole other problem. Uh, we don't need to get into, but, uh, revenge, bedtime, procrastination. All right. Excellent. So, um, I wanted to ask you about our pets and we've been talking, I've been talking more about dogs, but all the shows today have been talking about our, our pets and how they've helped us get through the pandemic and, um, so maybe talk a little bit about our pets, about uh, our dogs, my dog Hershey, when we have PETA and Hershey, I mean, they're just, they become a, and, and sometimes animal lovers, uh, take it a little <laughs> too far, I think for people that, do, that don't get it, uh, but they really do become a, a part of our, our family and they matter so much to us. And I do think they help us get through tough times in life i mean not just as a kid i remember it just as a kid talking to my dog chico about my problems back in the day and it always seemed better after i talked to chico you know isn't that truth right where the dogs may not be able to understand the words but they can understand your spirit and they're there for you i've noticed on many occasions, when as I've been doing therapy with people from their home, video therapy from their they're at their homes and I'm in, in uh, my home office here, um, and as they get to a point in the session where they're feeling particularly emotional, all of a sudden there'll be this like I can see out the side of the screen where there's this nose that starts nuzzling them, and the dog just seems to know. Um, you know, my owner needs me um, and they give some kisses and they kind of nuzzle for a cuddle and it just grounds people and it has people feel cared for in a way that's really quite beautiful. And so I've just really been aware of the power of pets during this time of pandemic. I think they're good for us in all sorts of ways. Yeah, I agree. I've got to ask you about Zoom therapy. I hadn't really thought about that until you just now said, you know, that you're at your office and, and you're, uh, clients are at home and and you're helping them with their issues virtually what's that been like well counselors or therapists these days have the option because it is an essential service people are able to see people live if that's necessary out of an abundance of caution i have switched to video therapy we use a very secure specifically designed for therapy um, video system so that they're it's encrypted and that uh, people's confidentiality is maintained And there's definitely some disadvantages because I can't sense the energy in the room or I sometimes can't notice if people's eyes are welling up. And so I'm not as much quite on my game as when um, I'm in in person with them. And so we explain that there's limits to video therapy, but it does make it possible for people who are elderly or have an underlying health condition. And then there's some beautiful advantages, like I just talked about, where they're at home and they're sometimes snuggled under their favorite blanket or they have a cup of tea or their dog is right close. And so, and sometimes they'll be describing a piece of art that's really meaningful to them. And I'll say, well, take me to the art. And so then they'll grab their laptop or their phone and they'll show me the piece and we'll be able to talk about things in their home in the way we could never do if they were in person. And so there's pros and cons, but I love that this whole new avenue of video therapy has been opened up for therapists and for clients now during pandemic. And I think we know what the possibilities are even after pandemic when people need that option. We know that it can be done. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And you're right, eh? Pros and technology. There are some good things about it, and, but then there, there are also some, some cons as well. Hey, um, I want to ask you, I was reading today and I, I uh, told you about it, uh, an article about uh, people think that the pandemic has damaged the art 
of conversation. And and these polls, you know, some of them are better than others. I just <laughs> I find the the headline interesting and I wanted to ask you what you think. I think the poll says 62% uh, in this survey, think that um, the pandemic has damaged the art of conversation. Do you buy that or not? Well, what I love about that is you bring it up and it now becomes a part of the art of our conversation, right? Sure, and so there's yeah. A, there's an irony to that because I think during the pandemic, um, I know sometimes at our supper table when if we go to, so what's new today, um, the conversation's pretty short and it's pretty quiet because there's not a lot that's happening and I think often people have relied on activities and experiences, past, present, or future, to sustain interesting conversation. And I think another topic often of conversation um, is ideas and politics and philosophy. And now during pandemic, I think what, as people have been going on social media, our social media algorithms just keep giving us more and more of what we're looking for. And so we get more and more siloed, and it almost becomes dangerous to talk about politics or about an issue because people are so polarized that there isn't a meaningful dialogue and we can't be nuanced. And so I think that it there are some threats to conversation, which we have to seek to overcome. But what I would say is that the art of conversation, in my experience, has in many ways been enhanced because we're all in this ocean of pandemic very differently. But as we're in different boats and, and some people have such different tragedy and crises during this time of pandemic, as I've been doing workshops with various businesses and government departments online, people have been really open to saying, this is what I'm struggling with, or these are my losses, or this is the hardest part of the day for me. And mm-hmm. people are sharing and being more open with each other about the real stuff, because there's depth to the conversation, because people are in a time of real adversity. And that common adversity really opens people up to have this authentic dialogue, which I'm just so enjoying. Yeah, and I was going to say that, you know, I think why there's such depth to the conversation is because, you know, the line is, we're all in this together. We've heard that the whole time. But we are, right? We have a better understanding, uh, even though they're not exactly the same, we have a better understanding of the challenges other people are going through because of the pandemic, because we're going through stuff, too. Right. And so, so often um, in the past, people, you either sort of talk about the jets or about the weather, you keep it really safe. And I find that people can get really honest with each other pretty quick about saying this is a hard day for me or, you know, you look like you're having a hard day. And you get to the nitty gritty pretty quickly and you get some really profound connection because underneath whatever experiences we have, we're experiencing those feelings of loss and grief and, you know, struggle and stress. And so we can really identify with each other and have some pretty raw, honest conversations, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, another survey here. Again, just to start the conversation. Um, this poll says that uh, nearly half of us, 48% of us, are hopeful about the pandemic. And that is more than double what it's been over the past year. So earlier in the pandemic, we weren't very hopeful. Now almost half of us are more hopeful, hopeful about about the pandemic. And I've said over the past several days, I am starting to feel more hopeful as we get some of the most vulnerable people, our older citizens, uh, vaccinated and, and protected. Um, there is something, we've talked about that light at the end of the tunnel. There There is something about even a glimmer of hope and how it makes things easier. Oh, the human spirit relies and survives on hope. And I think 
Um, the hope for a long time was theoretical. We knew the vaccine was coming, but to have it in Winnipeg here, and a colleague of mine yesterday was saying that her first shift to deliver the vaccines was happening last night. And, you know, I had it was in a committee meeting last week where the nurse said, I've already got my second shot. And so it just feels like it's, it's actually here, right? Some people are getting it. Needles are going into arms and it feels like the hope isn't theoretical. It's actually actual. And so that light at the end of the tunnel just isn't a freight train coming towards us. But actually, there is going to be an end and we can see it. And I just love that feeling of hope. And I, I think there, there's still pervasive discouragement and struggle, but it's, it does feel like it's lightened just one layer. And I'm looking forward to having that, those layers of distress peel back gradually over the coming months. Mm-hmm. And I want to end on the weather here. Uh, just got a text message from Mac at 204, uh, Max, sorry, M-A-X, Max, at 204-780-6868. He says, Hal, we're in a drought. We need another three weeks of snow, gentle but steady snow. And from an agricultural perspective, I understand the need for that. But I'm excited uh, about nice weather, maybe no more winter, no more real cold weather, no more big dumps of snow here as we uh, celebrate today the 50, or at least Mark today, the 55th anniversary of the blizzard of 1966. But all of this reminds me, you know, five degrees outside now in the sunshine and talking about this big dump of snow all those years ago, it reminds me that weather can either put a smile on our face or it can, you know, send us into a tailspin. Weather plays such a a factor in our mood and, and how we feel about things. Absolutely. I think weather is such a factor and we're aware that uh, we'd like to think we're in control of our lives and then a big storm happens and we realize that uh, maybe not quite so much and that when the sun shines, it really raises the spirit of everybody. And I think we're aware that particularly this year, weather is such a critical factor uh, because outside, um, lately we've been having, we had a wiener roast couple of wiener roasts in the last week. Um, one was a little warmer than the other. And it's just so good to be with people that we care about in the flesh, to actually be able to see them to, because we're outside, we're socially distant outside, and so it's safe. And it just is such a difference. It restores normality. And it, when we can look other people in the eye because the weather allows it, um, in a couple of days I'm hoping that the sidewalks will be quite as treacherous as they are now and so people mm-hmm. can get outside for their exercise. It just, when we have good weather in Winnipeg, that spells freedom. Yep, it does. Carolyn, thanks a lot. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. You too. Take care. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.